People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Yes, this is Joy Silver, and we are talking to Walter Ryan. Uh, our episode today is White Supremacy and Its Roots in Child Abuse. So we welcome back a former guest of ours, Walter Ryan. He lives in northern Wisconsin and writes about social justice issues for various medium publications. His article about how his family was harassed by Trump supporters for speaking Spanish went viral back in 2016. And today he's concerned that America appears to be on a collision course with fascism. So talk to us, Walter, and thank you for joining us. And tell us about child abuse at the roots of white supremacy and how this affects what is happening in our political system and its landscape. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think many of us have just been trying to catch our breath ever since the 2016 election, as we saw so many of the people that we've known for years stand on the wrong side of, of what was going on. I mean, if the things that are being said and the violence and political rhetoric is only getting worse and worse and that, you know. But what's been stunning to me is how even people that are supposedly members of my family are just indifferent. I'll point out some of the things that have happened and harassment and how it connects directly to Trump's and now, and Trump isn't even the only one waving that flag anymore. There's a lot of there's a lot of people on that side of the aisle that are calling, frequently making death threats against other politicians, things like that, and just just calling for their followers to engage in violence. And it's just been stunning to see people choose their political ideology over family members. I think that's a that's an important thing that you said. There's there's two things that you just said that I just want to unpack a little bit. First of all, I love your writing. I'm just here to say I am a, I am a follower of Walter Ryan, and I will read whatever he writes. So I'm just I'm putting that right up front to all of our listeners today, and I urge you to get on board with Medium and see some of the things that he's writing. He does write extensively, and he's a very strong voice for what's happening today and certainly covering the extremists and white supremacy and all of its roots and what it means. But you talk about in your article that really caught my eye that you, you yourself, grew up with conservatives and they became white COVID, uh, covert white supremacists. And, uh, and you also zero in on violence as the connector to all of this. Yeah, it's one of those things. There's a couple things that get floated around and you see these, every time I see it on a t-shirt, I get nervous when somebody wears their God, country, family, you know, type logo. And it just the other day it occurred to me, why don't people have T-shirts that say, you know, decency, compassion, charity? These are the things I stand. No, it's got, and you notice when they say God, country, family, that family is last. And I think that's what I was getting to before with, mm. <laughs> you well, know, that, the that's the really important. ideology. Yeah, and it's just one of those things where you, boy, I mean, it would have had for me, I had to see it, you know, to believe it, to see how these things were going on. And the side of my family that has just become all in with Trump, Growing up, these were people I hung out with, and just their way of interacting with each other. In 2016, it was just the the gun side of things. It's always the pro-guns, pro-guns, and you just can't have a discussion with them about anything, anything that's gun-related. Which thing but do I, you think comes first, 
is it God or is it guns? This is what I'm 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 not sure exactly. <laughs> or is the God actually gun a gun? I'm not sure. But you say there are two parts to the essential white supremacist philosophy. The first thing you say, and this is these two points stuck with me. You say you deserve to be punished. That's number one. The second thing is you don't have any right to attempt to defend yourself. Yeah, this is what I saw growing up, you know, with that side of the family. And it was one of those things where I just learned that I was always kind of fearful when I was hanging out with them. And and you kind of learn how you are expected to behave so that you can avoid getting beaten up. And they were always a little bit better. They were hard on each other. They were harder on each other than they were ever on me. You know, Mm. I had a little bit of protection being that I was on the outside. But that group and that family just... And I mean, it started with, with their dad and the story that, that one of my cousins told, and he was the one that I really thought I was making progress with, that I was going to turn him away from the dark side, you know, <laughs> as it were. And he told me a story one time and, and he just, to this day, he just has nothing but absolute admiration for his dad. And his dad is kind of like the ultimate Hellraiser type legendary figure, you know, and, and in literature, there's, there's characters, you know, and you're thinking like, we, we glorify like the concept of a pirate or, mm-hmm. or, you know, all these kind of characters. He's that. But one of the stories he told me was growing up, I mean, the dad always liked to talk about how he could whip everybody. You know, that's the phrase they use. We could whip any man and just always bragging. And then part of that is just defending what's mine, you know, defending everything I own is mine and everybody else better keep their hands off. And so my cousin was telling me this story, and he was really young, just when he was getting old enough to comprehend this message he's constantly getting pummeled with. He was playing with his toy trucks or something with, with another cousin, and one of the cousins took one of his trucks, and he's like, oh, well, this is the moment Dad's been talking about. So he attacks the other kid, like he'd been trained to do. So then he goes and tells his dad, oh, you know, he took my truck and I beat him, you know, I whipped him. And, and then the dad turned around and beat him. And <sighs> Even as he was telling me this story decades later, he still had just a look, just confusion crossed his face. He's just like, yeah, and then I got beat. And at the end of the day, it's another case of, to teach you not to beat somebody, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> and and, and it's just that, that, that to me is that underlying contradiction of basically everything that goes along with the conservative philosophy. It's like they don't even make an attempt to abide by their own principles. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think beating somebody is wrong, you can't beat that into them. Right, right. You know, I, I, I think one of the things you mentioned are people who have lived through the kind of thing that you just described will say things like, I had to endure that and I turned out okay. And yeah, yeah. you, and don't, you don't agree point. with that. Oh, no. I mean, they're obviously not okay because I think that's, that behavior is acceptable. I, and that's the whole problem. And this is why it gets really hard to deal with. It's not like trying to measure the side of a triangle. They have layers upon layers upon layers of things that they believe. And then they're all muddled up. And so inside that, you got a son's love and respect for his father, right? And, and this inadvertently becomes a carrier of these violent traditions mm-hmm. where they're indifferent to white supremacists, which makes you a de facto white supremacist. When you are indifferent to stopping it, right. then you are essentially one. And that's where it becomes, I mean, just everything you can look at in your life, that's why this is, almost anything has some sort of a relationship to it. The decisions everybody makes, you know, everything in your life contributes to those things. And so unpacking these things, and one of the things I do as a parent, and, and I just discovered this the other day where I... I, I told my daughter she had to go practice the piano, and I told her three times, and then the third time was a little too harsh. She's in middle school now, so she's, <laughs> and it's it's right, and it's good that she should be, should stand up for herself. But I said, no, go, after I said, go to your piano, I felt bad about it. And so 
I made a point. I was like, you know, I don't feel good about this, but I have to go up and I have to apologize for saying that. And I'm just, think how hard it is. And it's like, even though I wanted you to go play your piano, I shouldn't have raised my voice like I did. And I, I'm sorry for doing that. You just have to make these statements. And that's a really important lesson to teach your kids. You have to show them, if you think being accountable for your actions means you as a parent have to admit to your child when you make a mistake. That's an important thing because you talk about the kind of people that you're describing and basically children who are trying to find their place in the world and were abused mm-hmm. to the point where they were basically battered and broken. These are your words. They're hyper-masculine individuals and they cannot lose a fight. They cannot be wrong. Yeah. That's a message. I really that- wish we would... Yeah, I, w- I wish when, because occasionally they have political meetings you know, or they have their town hall where people in the audience are allowed to add, ask politicians questions. And I think everybody has to ask these politicians, tell me a time you were wrong when you made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Admit something you did wrong. Imagine somebody's asking Donald Trump that at a town hall meeting. Right. And getting him to answer something like that. But what kind of a leader can't admit to making a mistake? And what kind of a parent can, or any any adult, anywhere. I, and I've encountered a lot of those people because it's it's pretty rare to meet somebody who takes responsibility for their actions. And everybody perceives that. There's, there is a perception that when you admit a mistake, you are now weak. But yes. it's strength. Compassion. So this is one of those. Compassion becomes the weakness. Compassion yeah. becomes not masculine. Compassion becomes, uh, for men, it makes them quote-unquote effeminate, although I have to say there's some women that could fit right into that cruelty oh, bracket every, as well. Every, every conservative I know has had their wife leave them for another man, so it's, it's one of those things. And so, and then here's the thing where they, they always tell you, you're the snowflake, you're the this and you're the that. But if you're sitting around on Thanksgiving, you can't go to your uncle who's, whose wife ran off with his best buddy from high school and say, well, you aren't man enough to keep your wife. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're not going to be like, oh, that's a good one. But I mean, it, it, that philosophy, uh, oh, yeah, just all part of it. They just they just crumble. I mean, you, you're just not going to have a valid, strong relationship unless you're compassionate, unless you commit your mistakes, unless you you got to put aside this crazy hyper-masculinity that makes you have to dominate everything in a present because nobody wants to be around that. But the if you think that w- compassion or losing a fight makes you weak, then you're exposing a vulnerability, which if you're a, a survivor of childhood abuse, that's what gets you beaten. So it becomes very a fearful situation yeah. when you feel that that uh, agency is going to be stripped from you and you you know it's almost like PTSD where you're going back to being powerless and so we're talking about kind of an arrested developmental stage I mean you talked about um, the 13 year old boys coming back to school after Thanksgiving and you know hunting and I want you to talk a little bit about hunting because there's something you mentioned the age 13 where these young boys become men after their first hunt and I was thinking yes but 13 in a Jewish culture boys become men because they learn how to read the Torah so it's education uh-huh. that makes them men and that's a pretty big difference talk a little bit about the hunting thing oh and I wonder how much of that is a, a regional thing here in northern Wisconsin but yeah the hunt was just one of those things where it just, it just didn't appeal to me personally i just didn't and it's not like i understand where meat comes from i understand that we need to kill animals to get it but as a you know i just didn't feel like 
traipsing through the woods and and it just never I never could understand this they would come to school after this and get their buck and they'd just be changed and and then if they'd ask oh did you go hunting and I'm like well you know I hung out in the woods with my dad but I didn't really go there to shoot anything and then then you're just then from that point on you don't have a relationship with that person mm. so it's just sort of a weird any kind of cultural conditioning like that where people make these decisions and these they make a judgment on you based on some sort of a perspective that really is not connected to anything is always kind of something to be a little skeptical of, I think. How did this affect, and you talk about feminacy or homophobic slurs, how did this end up being oh. something about your sexuality? I mean, hunting and sexuality, there's <laughs> killing animals has to do with being a sexual person. I, I'm having a problem with this. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to still sort through all this stuff. How much of this is I mean, when kids are 13, they don't know what they're doing anyway. And, and it was common to use and homophobic slurs were just things people said, just like any other swear word. And you don't even really know what that means. Although, looking back on a lot of things growing up, I wonder, in rural communities, there's some pretty horrible things that go on. And I remember when I was younger, it was always sort of like, well, the girls get all the attention, you know, from the teachers would always spend more time with the girls and tell them they did good on their paper. So when I was a young person, I'm like resentful of that. Then as an older person, I realized that these were predatory men. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where a lot, you know, you're trying to sort through a lot of your perceptions and thoughts of these through time. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that I was an, I was a person who carried books around was already, that already put a target on my back for yeah. being not male. Yeah, and I don't know how much of this is a, a Wisconsin thing or if, or is this is a universe. I don't think it's universal because when I went to Peru and I lived there, that culture wasn't there. Like the, the hyper-violence of American culture just wasn't there. And then when I went to Peru, people always, often had the perception of me of being hyper-violent, which was odd or I, I would meet people from europe and they would get that i was like oh here's one of those violent americans and i'm like how am how am i that but i mean it, it it rubbed off on me and i don't know if it was something that i would adopt again just as a defense mechanism when you're trying to get through grade school and high school which, which has got enough inherent problems anyway without all these other things piling up on it mm-hmm. yeah it's there's a lot to unpack as you kind of look back on the things you went through in your life i want to take a pause in our conversation with walter ryan and talking about white supremacy and the roots of white supremacy in child abuse and tell you about something very special. Our podcast today is made possible by the generous support of My Little Flower Shop in Palm Springs. They are the premier full-service floral and event design studio in our beautiful desert cities. The staff has more than 50 years of experience designing, planning, and executing one-of-a-kind high-profile social, corporate, and charity benefit special events. That experience includes the Academy Awards and presidential inaugurations. So whether you are planning a wedding, a birthday, showers, or anniversary parties, or you're organizing a big banquet, My Little Flower Shop uses only the finest flowers and will help you celebrate in style. Everyday arrangements, wedding bouquets, centerpieces, and amazing unique designs. Call My Little Flower Shop, open daily, 9 to 5. The phone number is 760-778-7111. That's 760-778-7111. And visit them online for visual inspiration, mylittleflowershop.com at 861 North Palm Canyon in Palm Springs. They're open for delivery and an official sponsor of Outspoken. 
And we are back with Walter Rhine and white supremacy and its roots in child abuse. Well, now we've been talking about um, American hypermasculinity, and uh, I think you can safely say that that is a national issue right now in the definition of what it means to be a man. And I think this has been like the the backlash of. Almost, I would circle around the Women's March, and even earlier than that, it's it's the backlash to women in general as a gender ascending to equity and equality. And so we're seeing the resurgence and indeed the, the fear. I mean, it really seems to be based around fear that men who believe in this need to now somehow reassert themselves before they're no longer considered men by each other, I think. So I'm not sure if that is homoerotic or not, but I I could go out on a limb and say there's a case to be made for that. But how do you yourself, having been brought up with this background, and you did say that Europeans kind of saw that in you, how do you work that in your personal relationships? And how long does it take to become a different way or learn different behavior? I think that's something that you have to concentrate on. You have to examine your behavior. And it's, yeah, again, the hardest thing for you to do is when you're absolutely certain that you're, I mean, if you're mad about something and you think that you're right, the hardest thing you can do is separate yourself from your emotions and have a look at that and just decide, okay, that other person does have a reasonable position here. And I think for me, it just started out, you get sick of having these battles that go on forever. And I just, when I was, you know, about maybe about 13 or 14, I started finding, rather than having, you know, somebody who I'm in a conflict with, I just sit and never talk to them again. <laughs> I would look through and find parts. There's always some part of a concept, a conflict that I could say, okay, that was my fault. And in my mind, it'd be like, okay, okay, 5% of it's my fault, which probably isn't accurate. But you have to give, do these little mental tricks just to make yourself take the first step and say, well, I'm going to apologize for this part that I believe is my fault. You separate it out. And then you do that, maybe the person doesn't want to talk to you, and maybe that's the start. Or maybe it's the start of, you know, repairing your relationship. But then bit by bit, just having the willingness to examine your own behavior and separate things out and realize, okay. And then it gets to the point, I mean, my wife and I, and one of the things I think is really important is we just keep separate bank accounts. And we've just Mm -hmm. never, you know, we've just never... Having commingled funds, eh? So you both have uh, responsibility for your own finances. And I think that's that's vital. And and I've, you know, since then I've talked to people that, I mean, and and it's stunning. You meet people that are trying to get away from their husband and then you're like, well, you have any money? And he's like, well, he controls all the, I don't even have access to the bank account. Mm -hmm. And that, this is going on in America today, you know, and that's just a control tactic. And then again, it's intermingled with tradition. Oh, this is a traditional marriage. The, The husband maintains everything. And then tradition, well, white supremacy is a tradition. So it always kind of makes me laugh when people, well, we, we like traditional values. And it's like, well, there's a lot of really horrible things that are traditional values. And, and you just admitted to standing up for those things. So how does the left get um, get tagged with being hateful and violent? I mean, isn't there some sort of a conflict there? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, that's just always, it's amazing. And I'll pull out facts. The FBI released their report that the, the white supremacy is the, the largest domestic terror threat. And, and, and Proud Boys are the ones that are getting arrested. I don't think anybody from Antifa has ever been arrested. Or if they've been arrested, they haven't had an actual prison sentence like the Proud Boys have. And I'll write these articles like, well, these are the proofs. You know, the left is not violent. They don't, they don't indulge in this behavior like the right does. And people just, they come back and they say, well, and then they just mix everything together, though. And, and it's sort of like you were saying before, a lot of this is their PTSD defense mechanism where everything is mixed together. And then their belief that the right is the side of justice 
and the left is the side of violence, you know, that's something that they can't, you know, it's tied in with their defense mechanism of not getting beaten by their dad, you know. Mm -hmm. So they just can't, and so they'll be like, well, there were riots. And I'm like, that's not a political movement. I mean, when they attacked the Capitol, they were carrying Trump's side, and there haven't been riots that were, there's been no attacks on Capitol buildings with people occupying government space with uh, AR-15s. Left-wing protesters don't do that. But it's all just conflated in their mind. There's this big, you know, it's all blended up. And that's why it becomes so difficult. You don't even know where to where to begin to approach it. What's a tactic? And so I keep I just keep trying different angles to, to look at this and see if anything gives you some sort of a, of a better understanding of what of what you're dealing with. But where I really found my parallel belief system, maybe, or maybe it's self-preservation, or maybe it's actually true. Any of these things could uh, be real here, but. I immediately, when I saw you said that we have to look at cult followers, basically, that's kind of what we're talking about, that they're sick. It's a sickness. And to think that violence is unavoidable and inevitable, and that you even said uh, they want to make sure they're the ones who walk away from the violence because that fight has to be won or the obsession of all the fights they didn't win, that's what what causes them not to be able to sleep and kind of defines who they are and can't, that's why they can't ever say that they're wrong or be accountable because it would be too painful to be out of power. But this illness, this sickness, it's now there. It's there for all the general public to view. It's a full production of the illness of our culture. Although it may lead, and from your, your point, I think, is what you're saying, that uh, we're on a crash collision course with fascism, uh, and this is kind of the root of fascism, is what we're looking at right now with this kind of philosophy and, and action and support from institutionalization of terrorism, domestic terrorism. I still think that it's a moment in time when we who are think of ourselves as wanting to create a better world for the common good, we have to look at and say, this is an illness of our society. And we're going to need to treat it as deprogrammers of a cult and or look at it as an illness that needs some attention and some redefinition and some help because we do have a terrible violence uh, uh, illness and sickness in, in if that's how you're going to define yourself and need to be part of that street gang <laughs> to be yeah. safe because you have daddy issues this is our yeah, problem and it's, what's really important and it came out in a comment on one of my articles I, I said that you know they're insane and somebody else said no they, they know what they're doing so they're sociopaths and so I said you know I think we're both right. I think there's a lot of people that are followers of that group are just damaged individuals and they're being taken advantage of really. Yes. Yes. And then, but you have some that know exactly what they're doing up at the top and they're, they're pulling the strings and you're seeing this with the, you know, with the testimony, the Capitol riot, all these people, now they're breaking down and in tears and they were manipulated, you know, and, but this is a defense too, but it is true in some cases, everybody's trying to use it as a defense to get off the hook. When you're taking advantage of the mentally ill, just so you can retain power mm-hmm. and then you turn around and, you know, oppress and exploit the people that put you in power. You're right. It's a health crisis. But it, the United States, we know how we deal with health crises. COVID taught us that or even issues like sexually transmitted diseases. Where well, they and addiction. The male. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we just, the Americans just don't care about American life. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know if that's true that we don't care about life, but I do know that, uh, and I agree with you, and I, I'm right there with you that it's the healthcare system 
that we have to go after first because there's a lot of illness, whether it's mental, physical, medical, whatever. This is the, the common thread to all of this, I think. And so if we move forward uh, getting a healthcare system, then we can become a civilized people. So I want to thank you for being with us today. Walter Ryan, where can our listeners read more from you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. You can find me on Medium, and then I post on Twitter, uh, Streets of Lima, S-T-S-O-F-L-I-M-A is my Twitter handle. Thank you. Thank you, Walter, and thank you. This is Joy Silver with Outspoken. Outspoken.